0: We've all heard about becoming a millionaire, but how about a mindful millionaire? Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. On today's show, Lisa discusses how she gracefully weaves together her 20 years of spiritual teaching with her 20 years of financial experience to create the Mindful Millionaire Perspective. We then talk about becoming financially conscious, how to break out of the financial matrix, how destructive having a scarcity mindset is, and how meditation can improve your financial health, and how she integrates the 4,000-year study of chakras with our money relationships and so much more. Welcome back to The Most Hated F Word. I am super excited to have our next guest, Lisa uh, Peterson. And before we jump into the conversation, I want to read a bio so that everyone gets a um, a feel of who you are. So Lisa is on a mission to help a million people elevate their financial consciousness by by realizing their true value. Her work includes coaching executives, salespeople, entrepreneurs, and emerging leaders who want to experience a life-changing shift in their existing paradigm. Lisa has supported thousands of leaders when it comes to finding clarity in the truth of finding, whoa, I got a big glare on my computer, but I'm going to keep going, finding clarity in the truth of your being while at the same time navigating parenthood, marriage, wealth, and business development, and advancing your thought leadership. As a workshop facilitator and a spiritual leader, Lisa helps groups of people create the rewarding, fulfilling, and abundant lives they desire most. She has appeared on the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Ford's, The Week, Huffington Post, and has been featured on many podcasts and radio shows. Prior to starting her current company, Wealth Clinic, Lisa worked with some of the largest financial institutions and business services companies in the world. She is a CFP and proud owner of her, I guess, six years now, Wealth Clinic company that she will let us know. Finally, Lisa, not finally, but uh, Lisa is the author of an amazing book that I thoroughly have enjoyed uh, called The Mindful Millionaire, and she also the host of her, her, I guess, renamed podcast, The Mindful Millionaire, which is great, and I've listened to the prior one, The Art of Abundance, which is still on Apple. If you missed those episodes, I'd check those out and then go to The Mindful Millionaire. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. I'm
1: so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I, I really, really, um, your work really resonates with me. It's uh, before we start recording. I gave a bit of background how I, I am a CFP as well, and we, I work in uh, I, another world where we do financial planning for people. And the more and more I, I talk to people, I realize that what people are desiring, maybe unconsciously, is that their money stories or what does money mean to them and the relationship between money. And that's what this podcast is all about. My little, I guess focus is the intersection of the mind or money and what matters most. So I, your work has just resonated with me and I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. My first question for you is around one of the central themes that I've often heard you talk about and speak about. And even in your book, and I think it's super appropriate for 2020 Uh, given that 2020 has brought us so many external events that have created anger, stress, fear, anxiety. I mean, to say it's been emotional is an understatement. And, And for the most of us, seeing those emotions or coming to terms with those emotions is scary. I know for myself, like diving deep is not the easiest thing. For me personally, it's easier just to avoid them. That's something that I'm working on. But where my question is going with this is similar to money. We experience these emotions and 2020 might even be highlighting these emotions. You have a, uh, a statement at the start of your bio that says elevate financial consciousness by realizing the true value. Can you explain what that means and how that could help in the year like 2020?
1: Great question. So as you know, and, and you mentioned earlier, I, I'm a CFP. I was a financial advisor for a handful of years, and before that, a mortgage banker. And in the time that I was helping people with their money in that way, I was also on a pretty intense spiritual journey. And for the most part, I kept those both completely separate because I could not find a context of bringing my financial career together with understanding myself better and self realization. And what ended up happening, you know, after many years of bumping up against the two and saying, I don't, I don't understand how they go together, I started to notice that part of the reason they didn't go together was we were so conditioned to have money, in this case, be connected to our own personal ideas of self-value. And as a result of that, we think that we're really conscious about money and we aren't we really aren't like we've got so much conditioning from the past about how we're supposed to live our lives and how money plays into it that we think we're open and receptive to all kinds of possibilities but sadly most of us are not and and when we dive into this work and and we start learning more about ourselves and our relationship with money we start realizing that there's these paradigms that we're living in that kind of feel like prison. Mm-hmm. And I got out of the prison. I, I got out of the matrix as best as I can. And I continue to work on this on a daily basis that I saw because of my intense experience of helping people with, people with their money, myself included, coming out of it because of the spiritual journey, and then finally one day realizing I wasn't my fear, I wasn't my scarcity. And, and that woke me up to like, oh my gosh, you need to be on the like top of the mountaintop shouting this message, like my Jerry Maguire moment. Yeah. Like, you you've got it all wrong. And and that's what began this whole idea of financial, awakening financial consciousness.
0: Yeah. So uh a, a few. I I've just see, it, and I, I agree, like there's this, I don't want to call it that, like a, a rat race in a narrative that we subscribe to. I'm using rat race because it's a relative term that people understand. And stepping out of that is uncomfortable. <laughs> stepping out of that is difficult because uh, I think it was in your book that you talked about Stephen Pressfield's, mm-hmm. The Resistance, yeah. So like the resistance is so weir- real and it 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 keeps us from stepping out. But what was it that enabled you to push past that resistance? And I mean, uh, I'm sure there's resistance that you still face daily. But for the person listening, because um, there's this bias, the confirmation bias. And, and I found this too. When I start having conversations with people, they're like, oh, no, things are good. Like Things are good. They're not broken. Don't touch them. But what would you say to the the people listening who maybe they haven't like, well, they're unconscious, like you're saying of how do you start to do this work and recognize that, Hey, it's going to be, there's good resistance there, but what is on the other side is, um, yeah, it's, it's worth discovering. So what would you say to that person who's like, I don't know about this. I don't know if I could start diving so deep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I mean, because I've been working on it for a long time and sadly, I had some really tragic events that I share in the book that kind of mm-hmm. opened me up to possibility, but I also share a little story that is coming up strongly. So I'll just share this, you know, it isn't easy to make the transition to start coming out of it. I was just talking about the movie, the matrix the other day, cause you know, Keanu Reeves wakes up and, and he's in this pod, you know, he wakes up literally to, Oh my gosh, there's this whole narrative that I've been taught that isn't true. And so So you, you do have to reach that recognition moment and we're all going to do it in one way or another. And some of us are further along in that moment. But for me, I was starting to teach. I had left my financial advising job, just walked away cold turkey. And the next day I sent out my Jerry Maguire email to everybody in my community, like not just friends and family. And I'm like, I'm starting a company. I walked away from my career for 17 years. I'm, you know, I'm going to teach a class. Come take the class. And and people signed up for it. It was $35, which cracks me up because Arrow is making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, I just made a thousand dollars in a class. You know, I'm like, this is not good, and I'm gonna do it for the next eight weeks. I was like, wow, we're not doing so well. But um, but I digress. In the course of teaching that class, I had a moment where I'm trying to show people about living a wealthy life and all these things that I thought I knew and someone sent me this passage about scarcity and abundance and it triggered me so bad that i started reading it and the next thing you know i'm huddled on the floor sobbing because i was like oh my gosh this is me like this is this is how i'm living my life i'm not the abundance over there i'm scarcity thick and thin, all all shapes, all sizes. Like I just saw my whole life in the context of that. And that was my recognition moment for scarcity and abundance.
0: Uh, Okay. So I want to go into the scarcity then in, in your book, you, you really uh, the mindful millionaire, you talk a lot about scarcity in the first part of the book and you reference uh, the book scarcity, which is a fantastic book, but I love how you, it really they they talk about like wealth in the book but you really hone it into your I guess your narrative of the book which which really resonated with me because as I'm reading it and as I'm I'm, I'm listening to the the words in there I too kind of like what you experienced I was like whoa I'm operating from a scarcity mode and and this is something that like has been I'm my background, bit competitive person, I'm always like, yeah, I'm competitive. I work hard. I was like, wait, is this scarcity mindset? And it really started to resonate with me and reading scarcity. And then your book was just profoundly like impactful for me. And I think it it speaks to this journey that we're all on. Um, a good mentor of mine always says, all these journeys is like a mountain without a top in the sense of like, just as you think you got to figure it out, like when you did going over that next course, it's just like, wait a second, here's a passage. No, you don't. But can you just um, for people who don't know your book, kind of who's that book for? And then and then I want to talk about how scarcity you kind of alluded to there, but how scarcity really fits into this book, because I really think it's a good theme that you pulled out.
1: So the book was written to two audiences, which is not recommended. That's probably why I wrote about a million words to get the 90,000. It's hard to do that. The two audiences actually share the same problem. But the audience is someone more like myself and maybe you where we've been, we've done okay with money. Like we've been able to take care of ourselves and we're in a really good financial spot. And that's how I would describe my life and how I've always led it. So that's one audience. And the problem is, is there's still this feeling, this fear, this worry all the time, no matter how much money you have, that, that first of all, it might fall apart tomorrow or you just you just don't trust it. Like you just feel feel like something's always missing. So that's one audience. And then the other audience is someone who has never been able to feel like money is under control and they've struggled with it. And they don't know what's, it's like, they feel like something's wrong with them and they can't get out of the cycle of, of financial struggle, even though they try and do the Dave Ramsey class, or they've tried all these things, all roads, that lead back to financial struggle. Like they get a bunch of money and then it's gone. And they're like, it happens over and over again. So I was targeting both. The, the, the ladder is more like, the family that I grew up in, those were that's my parents. Mm-hmm. And then my story was, no matter how much I had, I still didn't feel like I was arriving. And so does that answer? The yeah, question? no, that's
0: perfect. And I think you hit on such an important part that we see. And in, um, in Canada, we get research about like the financial health of Canadians. And I've, I read American um, similar articles as well. And The fact is, is year after year we're getting more stress. We keep reporting money is the most stressful thing in our lives, and debt levels keep increasing. And something that we I talked about this week on uh, uh, on a a different venue is that we can't educate ourselves, and we can't like. learn all the technical skills and hope the worry, the stress, the un, unspoken meanings behind money go away. And I think it's per, like, we need what, your book. We need uh, these things to make us realize like Daniel Coleman's work, 90% of all our financial decisions are emotionally driven, but we don't work on it. So I think it's so great that, um, that you, you have this book. And I really like how it's broken up into the three parts. I want to read a quote from it cuz um i have heard you talk before about after you released it you thought maybe the 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 uh, the title millionaire or mindful millionaire like made it think of millionaires and uh I, when you read it not that does not come through at all you seem so genuine and the audiobook is such a good version too very well read but um i want to read this here to become a mindful millionaire does not require you to have a million dollars but to feel like a million. It's about having the confidence in your ability, not just to cope with the basic challenge of lives, but to thrive in any and all situations that come your way with your money, your health, and even within your relationship. I just think that is so well put. And that last part with your money, your health, and even with your relationships. So, I'm going back to you here is I know you've, I've heard your story about how you financially you did well, you guys raised some good money. How does that hit home to you, the, your money, your health, and even your relationships?
1: Yeah. So I've been with my husband since college and we both, he came from a different socioeconomic status, more comfortable um, Mm -hmm. than where I came from but we we both do have a very unified vision about money but because I've had all these years 33 years exactly to play out money because I was so obsessed with it and Mm -hmm. he wasn't it caused me to notice again and again how important it is to have alignment in our partner relationships when it comes to money and even something like this, where he doesn't suffer from scarcity thinking like I did. And so our arguments and our struggles would often come down to that way of being like, he is fine with having pretty much nothing. And like, he does a lot of this stuff for me, Mm -hmm. but it's one thing to do it with resentment. Then another to be like, I get what it takes for you to feel safe and secure and comfortable might be different than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just one of like, thousands of examples, but so many people come to my work and they think, oh, I'm going to help myself with my problem. But when they get into it, they realize that there's not only the dynamic we have with ourselves and money, there's also a dynamic with our partner or our family or our children. And I am all of those things. And I have integrated it into the work because I see that once you go down the rabbit hole, these things are going to come up and they're really healing. Like, like people come and work with me and they haven't spoken. I kid you not. Like they haven't spoken to their parents in 20 years. And within a short amount of time, they are reaching out to me after we've done some breakthrough work. And they're like, I want to tell you that my father just passed away. And before he passed away, I was able to go and spend time with him them and if i hadn't done this work i wouldn't have ever i I would have lived lived with that regret for the rest of my life like that's the kind of stuff that i see happen all the time all because of money thinking it was the money but in reality there was this other stuff that needed Mm -hmm. to be healed
0: oh yeah that that i mean and that's like as you're saying that, it's just I'm the Seth Godin analogy of a hole in the wall and a picture on the wall. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. He like said, like, you go to this store and you ask for a, a hammer. You don't actually want a hammer. What you want is a hole in your wall. You actually don't want a hole in the wall. You want to be able to hang a picture, but you don't want a picture in your wall. You want how it makes you feel. And I think <laughs> for money, it's the same thing as we, we think we want the, the hammer or the money, but we want what it, Makes us feel how we can experience that money, and uh, it's just so powerful as we go down the, I guess, the inner side of money. But you, I want to touch on this idea with you and your husband having different upbringings, and I think it's an important part because you touched on this earlier. Is that uh, I, I'm married. I I have a financial background, and there there was times where I was like, oh my god, my wife just can't do it. She can't figure this out. And the more I I realize that that's a me problem, uh, I, I realized the power and just. Meeting people where they're at and understanding their money stories, and that our decisions we make now, we attach so much shame that oh, we can't get good at money or we're not good at money. So, can you explain that? Just for for anyone listening who might think that they're bad at money or that their spouse is bad at money and they need to fix themselves, just like kind of explain that we're a product of our upbringing and that's okay. Maybe want to change it, but maybe just touch on having that compassion for where we are with our money.
1: Yeah, this comes up a lot because, like you said, there is this lack of compassion about money in general. Like, let's just face it. Like, Mm -hmm. we just hear all the success stories and then we hear the horrible stories and then we, like, relate, like, the wrong story in our mind about our past. We focus on the negative. There's negativity bias happening for all of us all the time. But... There was something that you said, maybe even just tell me that question again, because it's like there's so many places I yeah I know
0: this. so <laughs> I, I guess the the central theme was like money relationships or relationships have a like a money relationship as well, and often we get mad at ourselves or we feel guilty shameful that we're not good at money, or we might think that about our spouse and our spouse has to fix that, but I guess it was a round of speaking like we're a product of our upbringing and just have compassionate and like know that the decisions we make are probably perfectly rational for what the, the history was.
1: Yes. So where we're headed with this is what I say over and over and over again is first of all, we are all doing the absolute best that we can mm. in any given moment. We don't, the mind just rejected that even when I said it. So I'm going to say it one more time. Like you are doing the best that you can in any given moment. And when you really believe that, you actually realize everyone else is too. Mm-hmm. And all judgment drops away. Mm. Like we, our prefrontal cortex, there are some awesome things about it, but there are some sucky things about it, which is like this stuff that we come up with, that, with judgment that just takes off, which is really just protecting ourselves, um, trying to not get hurt, trying not to feel pain. And so what happens is we project right things onto other people. And they're actually the things that we don't want to look in inside of ourselves most of the time. So if we want to improve our relationships with others, it all starts with ourselves. And it all starts with being ultimately compassionate about everything in the past. Like you will not be free in life. And, and this goes for the richest people on the planet. You know, like it's not a money thing. Like when I say freedom, I mean like, self-realization kind of freedom Mm -hmm. you won't be there until you actually see that you are always doing the best you can regardless of what anybody else thinks or tells you you do have that ability to see life that way
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i i I, that's a great point and i think that's we need that because like our brains um Rick Hansen, he's the author of Hardwired for Happiness. He talks about how like our brains stick like Velcro to negative information and it acts like a Teflon around uh, positive information. So I think that's so good that we are doing the best that we can and that judgment. And uh, you know, I I was lost for a word there, but it's judgment and the the amount of judgment we have around money and our, our, just ourselves in general and others, there's a lot. And I really like that distinction that you make that, Chances are that judgment, just a reflection on, on ourselves.
1: And I'll I'll just add, you know, we haven't talked about it, but I started meditating on a daily basis in uh, 1999. And that one teaching that we're talking about here, like if it's not registering right now, I just want to be clear. Like I meditated on this for 10 years Mm -hmm. to be able to even begin to understand Mm -hmm. what that meant, because my negative self-talk was out of control. and I couldn't get any freedom until I got control of my thoughts. And that's where, you know, the mindfulness part of mindful millionaire comes in.
0: Yeah. And I really want to dive into this book, but I got a question on that now is what have you done? Like that's a lot of years of practice medication, medication, meditation, (laughs) meditation, medication. Uh, (laughs) My daughter wasn't feeling good and she wanted some medication today. And that's my head, but, um, but that is like kid's time. Anyways, but, uh, um, Oh, now I'm thinking of. Oh yeah. So I really feel like you're. Uh, I haven't heard you talk about this, but I feel like you're well suited to answer this. Is when we're meditating, um, thoughts are coming in, and um, we 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 you know you. Th- I guess where I'm going at this is people get negative thoughts, and I've heard so many people just be like, "Oh no, no, no! I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy." And basically, um, they're avoiding that that emotion comes in what would you say to people and i don't know if it's in the spot for meditation maybe that's not but avoiding those thoughts you know those those as you're going through this work these things come up because you're looking at the inner child your inner critic and these emotions are going to come up and we i finally deal with them by saying like "Uh -uh, i'm happy and even though you're not what's another way we can actually i guess recognize these emotions so we can move past them
1: so, everyone's doing this no matter how much you meditate, everyone's got a lot of different narratives happening behind the scenes. And your question is, What can we do to help ourselves
0: when it, comes yeah, like to that out? negative motion comes up? Like, what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. It could be around money or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I can only speak to my own experience about Uh this. And I've been teaching meditation since 2003. So I started meditating and, um, and what I learned in teaching meditation in my own practice is that in the beginning, most of us do not have very much control over our minds. And let's just think of it like this. It's the mind is like a horse. And if you've ever tried to ride a horse I'm not very good at it, so I really know this. Like, it's like being able to get on a horse and the horse goes where it wants to go. This is what happens when I ride horses. I'm like, wait, it's going there, you know? Like, <laughs> stop it, someone. This is our mind. It's going in all of these different places. And most people have not. In fact, it would be a very rare trait that you're born with control over your mind, hence the reason for meditation. So- When I first started meditating, I realized years later, it should have been called my worry cushion because I would sit down on the cushion and all the problems in my life would all come in and that I would just sit there and I would feel terrible afterwards. And I gained great respect for probably what a lot of people are struggling with when they say, I can't meditate. And, Mm -hmm. and the deal is, is that until you start just like anything else, you go, you're working a muscle. When you're meditating, your mind wanders, you bring it back. You know, I like meditation that's not just free, clear, empty space. That's hard. But mm-hmm. As a parent, I can just meditate on love, unconditional love for my children. Like if I've got a central point to bring my mind back to, it's much more productive for me. So the mind wanders off, you catch that it's gone, and you bring it back to that you know, token of attention, unconditional love. It goes off again, you bring it back. It goes off again, you bring it back. Now that muscle is what's changing your ability and gaining a split second of awareness. Oh my gosh, my mind just went on to a really dark, ugly thought. I don't want to stay there. If I stay there, just like um, a weed in the ground, you can pluck the weed out when it's tiny. Pluck. But if you have a weed that's like four feet, I've tried to get those out of the ground. You're like, it's not coming. The root ball won't go. But that's what happens is you're catching it before something explodes and takes all your attention. And you're keeping your awareness on the states of aware- the states of love, joy, compassion, all these things we're talking about.
0: Oh, that is just the the horse example, the weed example is exactly what I was asking. (laughs) I felt like that's the exact answer I needed. And people might be listening, like, I thought we're talking about money. The thing is, is why I don't understand why we're not talking more about this than like how to optimize a low cost portfolio, just like 0.2 of a percent that maybe will happen. Maybe if the market goes that way versus this is rooted in the tenets of biology and this is how our mind thinks about money, everything else. So I really appreciate that. Like even like around money, when our, when we start wandering those thoughts, if we could start catching ourselves and bringing us back to being like, okay, here's if it's love or if it's whatever your money purpose is bringing it back. So I think that is if not better than any sort of fine tuning investment portfolio advice that we can have is control control practicing that muscle control in the um, mind. So thank you for that. So I do want to dive into, and I've been getting distracted because you're so interesting and all these other things about the book and specifically around right now, the scarcity mindset that we can develop that you talk about in the book. And um, you talk about scarcity and tunnel vision and what it can impact or what it does to us. Can you explain this concept?
1: I know it very well personally. So yes. And the book Scarcity was like a big game changer for me because working in financial services for all those years, watching people and their money, I knew there was something happening, that I needed, you know, research, if you will, to prove that what I thought was true. And that's when I got my hands on the book Scarcity. Uh, They were talking about this tunneling. So the idea is, is that there's limitless possibilities in any given situation, but when we're inhibited by thoughts of not enough, not enough, not enough, it shrinks our ability to see, you know, with, with uh, awareness to a very small tunnel. And that's all we see the possibilities. Everything's off limits, except this small little like one answer. And in the work I do, I'm always looking for what's that tunnel, which we can also call the paradigm that we're living in, because this is actually our comfort zone too. So we return to our comfort zone, which is based on a collection of past experiences and being projected into the future. (laughs) And then we also have this other thing, which they document in the book, which is that we can have a loss in IQ of about 13 or 14 points when we're inhibited by the thoughts, not enough, there's not enough. And it's like similar to losing one night's sleep. But imagine weeks and weeks of worrying about your money and you're trying to make decisions, but you're losing, you know, 14 points in IQ. Like this is a serious, real thing yeah. happening
0: to us. Yeah, I can relate so much to that tunnel vision. And it's funny how the brain, like... It would convince me, you know, you're, you're determined or, or you're, you're focused on your way. <laughs> no, that is being tunnel vision. Um, and in, in context of our money, how have you seen that in your years of doing planning in your, your previous life? How have you seen that that um, scarcity mindset impacts how we see and feel and act around money?
1: So personally, what I notice is that my biggest fears can easily lead the way in the decisions that I make rather than my biggest opportunities so that 's where it shows up in my own life and also in other folks lives. But, as you know, because in the book, I go into a lot of different stories of people that i 've worked with, and you know one example would be um, for someone who actually had tons of abundance in her life she didn't realize it. She didn't realize how powerful she was. She didn't realize how much success she had created because she had a very small idea of who she was and what she was capable of creating, even though her husband and her had built like a multimillion dollar company. She's like, well, that didn't have anything to do with me. Like he did all of that without me. And in the work together, it was interesting because in her situation, she had been raised with in a home where there was severe severe deprivation to the point where like instead of buying milk from the store, it would be canned milk and I, I actually have seen lots of this or powdered milk like such deprivation that many of us would be hard pressed to even imagine, but it was her mom 's way of saving money would be this deprivation like no fresh fruit, no fresh anything. And so later in life, there was a story that saving money was actually a bad thing because it meant deprivation. Mm -hmm. So all money that came in got immediately spent without any paying attention to it because she didn't want to be anything like her mom. Mm -hmm. So the scarcity gets passed down in a lot of strange ways. But when it starts to reveal itself and we start breaking out of that, condition system, all of a sudden on the other side, she was like, it was simple stuff like putting a dollar in a jar and thinking I'm a saver and it's okay. And then I don't have to bring my mom's story with me going forward. And I'll kid you not like fast forward. All of a sudden she's buying a house in a, you know, over a half a million dollars because she saved all this money like so fast and and a whole different life started getting created, and she got another job in addition to her 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 company. Like I just blown away at how powerful so many of us are, but because of scarcity, we don't even know it. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, yeah, that scarcity just traps us. And uh, it's I like how you point out that her mother passed that down to her, and um, yeah, we often hear about how we're all unconscious actors or actresses in her money story going through life and that's what's so neat about your work is you're helping people bring that to consciousness level so that they can rewrite that script um it's interesting to think that we all are playing out a script that was given to us um and i just think that yeah so much that that scarcity part is causing this stress around our money so i'm glad you really really dive into it So the book is broken up in three parts, kind of like talking about the uh, new language, you call it, of uh, money, and then the I Prosper, and then a guide to the mindful millionaire. Can you touch on um, what the I Prosper stage is? And I specifically want to make a mention that I really like how you didn't start the R, reinvent yourself, at the start. Because I think you take people through a journey on that so that we can then... I don't want to say properly that we have the confidence and the, the 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 right vision of where to go. So, yeah, can you walk us through? And I, I really love how you've brought in the mindful, the spirituality into money uh, and and created this framework.
1: So the thing that's coming up first that I don't think people always give a credit for when they come maybe from a scientific or a financial background, because I have had so many years of spiritual discovery too. Is there is a study done um, many years ago by Kaiser with over seventeen thousand people um, trying to understand where disease came from and where that that's what they started with. They were like, "Why are some people sick and some people are healthy?" Seventeen thousand people, mm-hmm. and this ACEs study. Why it's so important in my work and where I think I just want to preface I Prosper because I Prosper is a way to get out of this problem. But what they identified was not only was trauma as a child, which is defined in a whole bunch of different ways, but let's just keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Trauma in our early years of life and even into our twenties had a way of predicting health issues, but when they got into it, they realized it also predicted financial problems and addiction and a long list of other problems that we as a society are dealing with and no one's talking about, not in the way that it needs to be openly discussed. So here I was studying why are some of my clients wildly successful with money have no stress about it. They're just like feel so free. And then others are just mired and suffering. And I, I took the ACEs research and I started smashing it up against like who I was helping and how I was helping them. And ultimately I realized that people who were stuck in scarcity patterns needed a way out. And I prosper is the, is kind of like 12 step, because I modeled like a lot after 12 step step and then artist's way, like these transformational books or systems. And I knew that people had to go through a series of steps to wake up to who they would be on the other side, more prosperous, more free. Mm -hmm. So I prosper is modeled by the 4,000 plus year old um, system, an ancient form of psychology from the East called the chakras, Mm -hmm. which model our natural progression of maturation. So starting at birth and going to about 25. So it, it models perfectly what with what they were studying with ACEs. And so I Prosper basically brings together this idea of like, this might be the reason why you're struggling with this thing around money. So I compartmentalized it based on the chakras and said, If this speaks to you, this might be some of the reasons why you're struggling. Now that you can say, I'm doing the best that I can, what are the things that I'm going to do next to help me move through it? So um, in, in the model, it's like dealing with security issues, fear of everything falling apart. The next is sensitivity issues, being in touch with our emotions. The next is, um, power feeling like, are we a powerful person in the world? These are things that get stunted when we're growing up, depending Mm -hmm. on our circumstances, moving into the heart, which is the heart chakra. This is about feeling loved and appreciated. And what's weird is, I don't know if you noticed, like I'm using that eight step process in multiple ways at the same time, like you're, you're going on the hero's journey Mm -hmm. and, it's very strategic. How yeah. many ways I'm approaching it? Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I going through it. It's so interesting. You said the hero's journey is. Um, I, I was thinking about that as as you as I was going through your book, the hero's journey, and like I, I it reminded me of it. And it's funny that you said that. So um, yeah, no, it was very. That answers my question. Now, for people who aren't um, so familiar with chakras, can you explain? Uh, what, 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 I guess the idea behind them and and what, what made you gravitate towards that research other than it's 4,000 years old and it's super proven, (laughs) but uh, there's so there's a whole bunch of different modalities or or frameworks, but what specifically drew you to that one? So
1: because of all of the, I practice Tibetan Buddhism Um, for many, many years. And I was sitting, you know, in these long retreats doing all this inner work. And a lot of that work at a very advanced level is called tantric meditation. And you're going inside of the awareness of the body, but it's really superimposed. Like it's the, the understanding of who we are superimposed into our bodies because that's the vehicle. Okay. Yeah. So all those years, of, of paying attention to what was going on inside of me made me really curious about like all these different modalities and the chakras were not something I was learning in that practice but what I when I came across the fact that that um, Joseph, Joseph Campbell who created the hero's journey or kind of gave it that term he was inspired by the chakras so that was one clue Abraham Maslow uh, was also his Maslow's hierarchy of needs was inspired by the chakras. Now, back then they didn't feel comfortable sharing this just to be clear, because it seemed really spiritual. And they were in like, not just of Campbell, but especially, you know, Maslow, he was more in the scientific community. So it didn't really come out, but I found things that showed me that it was. And I thought that that was true. And so I just had to give myself permission to go on this journey to say, if those guys could be inspired by something like, why can't I, and why can't I bring it over to money? And once I gave myself permission to do that, I kid you not, all the stories of what I had seen, like I I started rehearsing every one of the people I had seen struggle with money. And I could see that, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. this is like a, this is a solar plexus chakra power thing. And then, and, and once that happened, I went back to my clients and I said, you're a solar plexus. Can I write your story? And they're like, you're kind of weird, but okay. Like they, I'd help them enough. And, And all seven people showed up. And part of the reason I could write the book in the level that I did was they became subjects who were willing to give me their life story through that lens of that one thing. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this works. This actually works. And it helps people. So that's maybe more than you
0: wanted to know. No, that was great. I could feel that. I, I mean, we're on zoom, but I could feel the, the, uh, the passion for that coming through. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so, so interesting. It, and I, I never knew that about Maslow's hierarchy needs. And, um, it, it's so good that you've taken those, those uh, research and applied it to money. Um, what, what What's your favorite story? Because you bring out quite a few stories around the different chakras. What, what's your favorite one in the, not favorite, but based on our conversation, what would be one that um, you would like to share that kind of goes in line with what we're talking about so that the, the listeners can see this, like, uh, or hear this in mm-hmm. a practical use?
1: yeah uh the solar plexus is coming up and um I work with both men and women and this was a man that I've worked with in the past and what I think is helpful just to share here is is when we looked back into his life and and the reason we were doing that was super powerful person going through a series of events. And this happens to a lot of men, I would say in our, in our world, because there's so much pressure to like Mm -hmm. produce and take care of everybody and be at the top of your game and all of that. And he was a player. And then a series of events happened that caused him to be like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like I've lost all feeling of being a powerful person in the world as a result of a breakup um, uh, business failure, like all of the, the trifecta, you know, a health issue, you know, like that's mm-hmm. how it works. All mm-hmm. these things happen. And we started going backwards in time to understand what might have caused it to be so powerfully negative to not be able to get out of it by himself. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the big question. Mm-hmm. And I have a different modality of what I'm using. And so when I looked at this model and we started talking about it, it turned out that there were just these simple things that there was a story in it, that it was a lineage. For a lot of us, this isn't just our immediate parents. There's all the stories behind our parents, like and what dynamics happened with money in before we even came into the world. And so there was a whole setup that we started getting in touch with about like this happened and that happened, and there was severe distrust in the family about mixing business and family. And when he went to ask to borrow money at a young age and was rejected for that to, from his parents, he interpreted as being, I'm not trust, like powerful with money. They're not trusting me. Mm -hmm. And granted, there's probably, there were other stories that had been translated to him that we didn't even have to get into. It was more of like, wow, can you see the trend of this fear you know, of limitation. And and when people realize that there's something there, there's a story they're living that isn't theirs, and yet they're perpetuating it, they can see how the context of all the crappy things that happened kind of set them up to break free of that story once and for all. And that's exactly what happened for him.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that is it. As I'm sitting there listening, it, it I mean, I guess we're all, self thinking about herself (laughs) thinking of it it reminds (laughs) me of a story that I experienced of like um for for a while I got into the finance world because I liked money and I felt like I needed money and it wasn't until I I went back to see like what was happening that I I realized that um at some point in my life I was told I was shy and I, I adopted that identity like to the tenfold and uh but I also was a Canadian young kid looking at the hockey players as we do up here. And, uh, they seemed like they were happy. They had power, they had money. So I decided that I want to get money. And that was my like voice to be heard. And, um, just, it it wasn't until I realized that what a, why I was so focused on money and I, you know, in doing that, you have a few neg or quite a few negative behaviors, but you think, Oh, I'm doing such a good thing I'm saving. But uh, I guess it just speaks back to these these moments in our past that just impact us of the future. And to your point of a lot of this is unconscious. And to this guy, um, the same sort of thing that one incident led him to believe this certain belief. So, um, I see we're coming up to our time here. I I would like to, I always ask people for a book recommendation based on our conversation. Uh, So the book that we're going to recommend is the mindful millionaire. (laughs) Can you, can you just for our audience? um, What is a mindful millionaire and what are we going to get? We all get things out. um, I don't even know how to ask this question. What is mindful millionaire and what do you want my audience to know about this book? A
1: mindful millionaire is someone who seems sees beyond this idea that life is a zero sum game. You know, like there's a certain amount of pie pieces to be cut up and divided. Like there's mm-hmm. so much more to our lives. And when you lean into the idea that maybe there's one part of your life that is not fully actualized and you you allow yourself to see it and and not make it bad or wrong or anything if that's something that you can do then I think the mindful millionaire isn't just about money. It's about awakening you and giving you a pathway to discovering where you still might be holding back in a super important area of your life, whether that's a relationship or your money or your career or your business. And that's, that's really what I wrote it for was let's awaken something beyond scarcity. Let's awaken possibility. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Awaken possibility. That, that, that is, that is great. And your analogies are so good. Like how many times do we look at that pie and be like, Whoa, there's not enough for everybody, but life is funny when you're like, Oh yeah, eat, eat, eat. Also the neighbor brings a whole fresh new pie. You didn't know was coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my last question for you is, um, fast forward, um, you're, you're like 90, 95, maybe we longevity is beyond that near end of life. And you decide to write a letter to your descendants and the letter, the intent of the letter is to give them some truths that you've learned about money and our relationship with it. What would that letter entail? And, uh, what would be the main, I guess the main theme in that letter? So
1: we go to the crown chakra, which is all about this understanding of I am. And to me, life is about mastering the art of decision. And so I was just writing this earlier today, that success, however we define it, is a decision that we all have the ability to have, you know, limitless control over because we're the driver of the, of the car or the ship and your biggest concern shall be pay attention to where you do not feel whole and complete and ruthlessly uncover those areas of your life until you know that you really understand what it means to feel you know enough to feel whole to feel complete because life is so much better living
0: it from that lens than all the others. Wow. That, uh, it's, I guess it's all our internal superpower. And if we can do that, you're, yeah. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that answer. I'm glad we're recording it so that we have it forever.
1: <laughs> Me too.
0: It's so fun. I've never said pretty much most of the things that we're talking about. Oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just, yeah. This is why I did this podcast is because like, we're so focused on like, you could have told me how to save and how to decrease my expenses and increase my revenue. But like, really, that's what it comes down to. That is exactly what it comes down to. So thank you so much for uh, sharing with us and giving us some of your time. Uh, we can never repay you, but hopefully people listening can uh, pay it forward to others with your message. And, um, and I urge everyone to go get your book. And I I don't know if you want one last thing to say to the view or to the listeners. Um, Any last statements? I just have to
1: say it's been such a fun conversation. And I really touched because when we did the audio book, like that was a big Normally authors, especially first-time authors, don't get the opportunity to do that, and I fought really hard to have it, and I worked really hard to
0: create it. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that you um, enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Like, I, uh, I, I first started with the audiobook, and then I got the, the, the paperback version, but your voice is so soothing and calm, and it just, yeah, really well-read.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, we'll chat in the future. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you're enjoying the episodes, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a review as it really helps to bring great guests week after week. Thank you very much and have a great day.